0: Talks like an animal. Must be an animal. Come here, the animal. Talking animal. Talking animal. Tugs like an animal, must be an animal. Come here the animals, talking animals, talking
1: animals. This is a dog. <laughs> Good morning, this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. And in this sort of pre-Earth Day edition, my guest today is Phil Jenny, Executive Director of the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, or WRC, in Minnesota. Founded in 1979 at the University of Minnesota as a student club of the Veterinary College, WRC has evolved into what's considered the world's busiest wildlife hospital, admitting approximately 19,000 patients each year. WRC expects that they will see more than 190 different species across that year. And there is a staff of 31 people to do so. There's also a sprawling battalion of volunteers, numbering around 600, that helps look after the WRC patients in various ways. We'll seek his perspective on the WRC, produced by his 20-plus years running the facility, and more broadly, somewhat less personally, I guess, the 40-plus years of the center's existence. When I speak with Phil Jenny in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Later in today's program, I was going to speak with Rochelle Stewart, executive director of Tiny Acres Northwest Florida, a horse rescue in Santa Rosa County. Santa Rosa County being where uh, an awful incident occurred last week. Uh, Sorry, I'm just getting an update from Rochelle herself as we speak. I'm sorry, because it looked like she was going to be unavailable tending to horses in her rescue, and she might still be available for the phone call, so we're going to just get that message now. I'm so sorry. But anyways, to back to what I was saying. This awful incident happened last week in Santa Rosa County. You might have heard about or read about a donkey named Jack had gotten loose and ultimately was shot and killed by an independent livestock contractor ostensibly dispatched to capture the animal. Though not directly involved, Stuart wrote a Facebook post that reflected A familiarity with the uh, various entities, a sharp perspective, and a powerful sense of outrage that has really escalated wildly in the days since this animal was killed. And uh, there was a uh, press conference yesterday. The the, the man that killed the donkey has retained an attorney, and the attorney delivered a press conference. So anyway, it's, uh, it's quite a story. And it looks like Rochelle may well be available to speak with us after all, so we'll sort of hope for that later in today's show. Right now, though, let's talk large scale wildlife rehabilitation with Phil Jenny. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813 239 9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813 433. Sorry. (laughs) juggling messaging and um, reading on the air, so that's not a good practice. Hold on one sec, please. Stand by. Stay tuned, as they say in, in the radio biz. Thank you for your indulgences, just trying to book and rebook guests on the fly and on the air, no less. So, but anyways, back to the guests. We do have standing by to speak with us. It's Phil Jenny. And again, just to reiterate, we'd like to join the conversation about wildlife rehabilitation and all kinds of things that we're going to touch on in the next little bit. Uh, again, call 813-239-9663. Email dj at WMNF.org or text 813 885 This is Phil Jenny back on Talking Animals on WNF. Good morning, Phil.
2: For uh, having me on and, and also for your work on behalf of Animals uh... I, I love looking at your website and following the show whenever I can. So thanks for your work.
1: Well, thank you, Phil. And again, uh, much the same can be said for you. I think you've been running the center, leading the center for a, a hair longer, or maybe a bit longer than a hair longer, but around the same time that I've been doing the show. So the same thing you could go right back to you. In fact, we spoke on the show, uh, I guess, about nine years ago, and it's so great to speak with you again. And I look forward to reviewing WRC's history and addressing some nuts and bolts of the operation. But first, um, an intriguing detail, as I noted in the introduction, the center considers itself the world's busiest wildlife hospital. How exactly is that measured?
2: well, we we that's as near as we can find out from looking at patients admitted. So it's not how many are released or how many species, uh, and it's uh, coming
1: through the doors, I guess, right? Is coming that
2: coming through the doors yeah. and that are that are legitimately, uh, wildlife species as we call it with a breeding, um, season in whatever the locale is.
1: And, um, so, and is there, is so there, I don't know. Yeah, so sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there. Uh, but I was going to say, based on that, that uh, ex- extended definition, is there some criteria that where a line is drawn, like this is wildlife, and over here is close to wildlife, but is not quite qualify for the purposes of statistics, et cetera?
2: yeah we do yeah and especially in a place like Minnesota where there's a lot of ducks and there's a lot of domestic ducks and people raise ducks, you can go to a feed store and buy ducks um, and uh, and some of those get loose, and uh, it's always kind of a, a challenge to know which ones are domestic and which ones are wild. We do our best to um, to make sure that the only patients that we Care for our our uh, our uh, legitimate native wild species. It, it's interesting. We get uh, big tortoises every now and then. Somebody might have had them as a pet, and somebody else sees them outside, and they don't know anything about them, so they just pick them up and bring them into us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we work with a lot of other partners, the Herpological Society, and and there's some avian rescue places, you know. People's parrots get out, and a lot of times people don't know where to go with them, so they bring them to us, and we help place those those patients. So we're looking at our numbers solely from the numbers of wild animals that are in need of medical care.
1: Right, and it sounds like from what you've described, sometimes uh, well-meaning people, I'm guessing, occasionally are bringing in... Animals that aren't really wild by that definition, just but they see some animal out there that looks like it's in distress or injured or ill or something and say, Well, I know where to take it and then yeah. and then they end up there as well. So
2: yeah, huh. no, that's right. We call that the Good Samaritan syndrome. We we kind of want to just tell them take it back, um, but yeah. but they you know we we have an allowance I guess for that. The person wants to help, you know. Sure. And, uh, so if we have to be the middleman, so be it. But as we've gotten busier, some of that's been harder and harder. You know, we got all we can do to keep. Keep track of the 19,266 patients we admitted last year.
1: Wow. Yeah, well, that's the thing, because the Good Samaritan thing, I've probably been sort of guilty of it myself, because if you live somewhere where there's even, you know, a bit of wildlife kind of, you know, brushing up against where you live, um, wildlife of one kind or another, you know, does end up kind of in your direct proximity, and then sometimes if there's a, again often a baby that you think, uh oh, this mm-hmm. you know this is this baby's in trouble and or been abandoned by by your mom. Now you later learn that generally speaking, your first instinct in that case is actually wrong. It's co- sort of counterintuitive to what should be done, but but you yeah. have to you have to go through some well meaning mistakes usually to to get that kind of understanding.
2: Yeah, and we've we've actually. Uh, Uh, pioneered a program called what what we call, um, it's ReHome, we call it, and, and we actually offer the service for people to, to like a, a nest of baby bunnies is exactly what you're talking about. And, and you see this nest out in your yard. The parents never come to the nest that you see. Uh, your dog, you know, sniffs it out. And, uh, your first instinct is to try to help it and bring it into us. And yeah. What we do is we actually, um, we have a veterinarian on, on call that deals with all of our, uh, or on duty that deals with all of our admits. And uh, we will actually examine the animal, check its belly, see if it's got milk in it. And if it looks otherwise healthy and a full belly, we, we actually send it home with the people, the nest back home. and oh. You know, just put it back where you found it and leave it there. Now, when, when we started that, I was convinced that um a lot of people take bunnies out of their yards because they don't want to deal with the hassle of keeping their dog or kids out of the nest. Right. <laughs> but what I found is I was wrong, and and uh, almost all the people who go through this rehome thing Take them willingly, take them back, and put them in their yard, and put laundry baskets over the nest, and all kinds of things. And uh, so, so it really kind of reinforced my growing suspicion that what we do is all about compassion.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Everybody has their kind of threshold, I guess, of like uh, good Samaritan do-gooding kinds of uh, task, and, and especially yeah. if that if that if that requires a, a long list of uh, care and maintenance of the. Uh, the animal that you brought in earlier this afternoon, it's like, well, I wasn't really bargaining for that. I thought I was just doing the right thing, <laughs> exactly. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly.
1: So, and I, ha- I guess I almost have to ask, before I move on to some other stuff, what facility is considered the world's second busiest?
2: <laughs> I'm not really sure. We know, um, there's a place in England that has, um, uh, that we know of 14,000 patients that they admit, um,
1: well that's a there's big drop also, though. From uh, 19 yeah. plus to 14 that's still Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. And then there's a there's a large um um center in Southern California um and uh I think that there's a there's a couple reasons I think where you know Minneapolis St Paul dominates the upper Midwest in terms of of uh people. So very few of our um compatriots in this business are located in large urban areas um most of them are associated with uh, uh, vet clinics and most vet clinics are at uh the um you know the university usually the state university yeah and uh so so and then there are no other there's nobody else anywhere near us, the closest place that, and I think Milwaukee takes in, I don't know, three to 5,000 animals mm. a year. So, yeah. you know, and it's six hours to Milwaukee from here. So, so we cover a very large geographic um, area. Yeah. Uh, Florida itself has uh, probably a dozen big centers. Um, so I think that that's, we're partly a, uh, um, I don't know if I want to call it a victim, but of, uh, of geography.
1: Yeah, product it sounds like, because it sounds like it's geography plus, uh, tied to geography, like a huge array of species uh, that are in and around there. So if anybody's not doing well or gets injured or whatever, that's the potential base of of, uh, patients there, I guess, is just naturally gigantic.
2: Yeah and and that's the other uh, Minnesota in the upper Midwest is very very conscious of its natural resources so um so even even if you're a hunter you're you know you're you are you are usually compassionate about an injured animal so so that's the other thing because of the fact that there's so many lakes and ponds and we're in uh with the one of the world's largest flyways in the Mississippi River flyway um just a lot of stuff comes our way
1: So let's, uh, you kind of touched on something that made me think uh, because of some talking about some of the other centers that are hooked into um, universities. Let's talk a bit of history because there's a long arc here spanning, well, by one permutation or another, 40 some years, Mm -hmm. but not really a direct path. So walk me through, like, kind of how it began, how it unfolded, and some of the key uh, milestones of those four decades.
2: Sure. We we started, as you mentioned, uh, in 1979 as a student organization at the University of Minnesota Vet School. A uh, couple years before that, there were some faculty members, one of Falconer, uh, Pat Reddick, Dr. Pat Reddick. Uh, he and his partner, Gary Duke, uh, they uh, started the Raptor Center at the University of Minnesota Vet School, which is still part of the University Vet School to this day. Um, and there were students at the time who thought, well, yeah, it's great we're taking care of these raptors, but what about all these animals in the backyard? You know, what about squirrels and rabbits, and aren't they worthy of saving as well? Right. And uh, so, um, so we started in 79, and in our first year we admitted uh, 45 patients, and that's kind of a slow morning for us. Yeah. wow <laughs> these days and it kind of just it grew gradually as a student organization, but more and more um it it kind of morphed into a larger community based organization you know it started out it was just students at the u who were volunteers gradually it, it you know people from the community started to volunteer um and then it, it the university went through one of the periodic uh uh, times when it goes back and tries to think about what 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 does it do, and they decided that they were going to cut back on some of these centers that they had and student organizations. Mm. So this was in 1996. So you know, however, 17 years after its founding, um, it they actually. Uh, well, they booted us out, frankly. Oh, and okay. In, <laughs> and,
1: well, not, not to put too they, fine a point on it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: right. And they gave us a period to, um, to. we stayed on campus, but the organization split off as a separate 501c3. Mm. So 1996 is actually our, um, is, is designed by the uh, IRS code anyway, when we became, uh, a nonprofit organization. I see. And uh, you know, there's a lot of fits and starts, and and they. And they we also were in the building, uh, trying to find a new building off campus, and uh, and then there was kind of you know just really bad growth problems in that period, and the the previous ED kind of went off the rails, and uh, I was hired in 2002 to uh coordinate the fundraising and building of the new building uh that we still reside in and then also to um, uh do the fundraising and and generally put the organization on sound nonprofit um, non-profit organizational footing I see. And and then we moved uh, in 2003 to our new building. When we designed it, we thought it would uh, accommodate comfortably about 10,000 animals. So um, we're out of space now, and we're involved in another very large, uh, actually it's a $10 million capital campaign that we'll be kicking off here shortly. We bought some land um near uh here near the twin cities uh in the suburb and uh we I've always believed that there's really two parts to our to our mission really or or of our business if you will there is the emergency care for wild animals right that's the bird that flies into your window or you know something that your dog gets or uh and then there's the what what I call the rehab business—that's the baby bunnies and squirrels and the unfortunate mm-hmm. orphans who really don't need, uh, you know, a high-end medical center. Uh, they just need space and room to grow up and learn to be whatever they are. And uh, it, it's always been interesting to me. It's it's sort of like going to the emergency center with a cold. And so our our vision now is to have a fully separate rehabilitation. Campus with sprawling cages and uh, underground, in-ground pools and all that sort of thing. While we keep and repurpose our current building, which is full of you know baby animals, um, repurpose that building to to be what it was really designed as as a as a really first class emergency hospital for wild animals we have a very robust teaching program we have as many as uh, uh, a dozen to 20 veterinary students that come through our facility each year as you know in, in various parts of their career most often in their fourth year and then we have a of uh, that intern program, where the in, where it's actually an already minted vet who doesn't necessarily they know they're going to take care of cats and dogs the rest of their life, right, so they want to do something more interesting mm-hmm. <laughs> in the beginning so so the the point being that then that that the the, the, uh, the current w r c facility will be the teaching hospital oh wow, and the rehabilitation center will be where we have the space provide um sufficient caging and uh, all of the other things that uh, you need when you when you prepare an animal whether it was injured and now healthy or orphaned um uh, to prepare that animal for success in the wild
1: so there's basically a, two tracks, uh, broadly speaking, that an animal comes in as a patient, and now or or eventually there'll be two separate buildings that'll sort of look yep. after them.
2: Do I follow this? Well, yeah, that's right, and yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Not everybody will need to go out to the rehab campus, but yeah. uh, uh, oftentimes uh, that that will be necessary. You think of large um, migratory birds, for instance. Um, you know, we get a lot of trumpeter swans. Well, it's it's really when we have a trumpeter swan in the wintertime, we don't really have the ability to house it properly at our at our um, that hospital. It it really needs to be in a larger outdoor space. Yeah, um, a lot of a lot of times <laughs> I think it's funny. People think that they'll get cold if they're outside, <laughs> and then <laughs> you you remind them that well, what's your coat made out of?
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. No need to bring that sweater by. I think we'll be okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So.
1: Well, this sounds really great. Well, this uh, for folks who might just be tuning in. This is Talking Animals. If you did just tune in, my guest is Phil Jenny, Executive Director of the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota that, as we've been uh, discussing, is considered the world's busiest wildlife hospital, admitting approximately 19,000 or more uh, patients each year. If you'd like to ask Phil a question or offer a comment about wildlife, about maybe some kind of wildlife that you have recently found or figured out or wondered, hey, what would I do or what should I do if this happens or I see this. Kind of bird or raccoon or whatever, um, you know, kind of on my uh, yard or doorstep, uh, feel free to call 813 239 9663, email DJ at WMNF.org or text 813 433 0885. So the very nature of what you've described and how sprawling, uh, the, well, the, increasingly sprawling the facilities will will become when, when the other new building is up and running, but also just how sprawling the patient sort of intake numbers are. Um, I don't suppose there's anything resembling a typical day over there. So, uh, <laughs> yep. but still, just to give us some, some sort of flavor, some sort of specifics, let's say that, um, let's say I do find a, either an injured or, well I think I think it's injured at least raccoon like a small probably is a baby to my eyes whether it is or not you know I'm not sure. So then I I I I call up the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota then sort of walk me through what would t- often or typically happen at that from those stages forward.
2: Yeah, if we if the client actually calls us ahead of time, we'll try to help them as much as we can in the preparation and also give them advice about whether they really need to come in, so mm-hmm. that that's always good when they call us first. But we also have clients who just show up. Yeah, especially people. I know, know, know
1: where to take this, call. and I'm taking it now.
2: Yeah, yeah. exactly. No yeah. matter what. Yeah. So then they they get to the center, and once they get to our center, uh, and actually this is COVID related. We had uh, we had greeters out in front of the building so we didn't actually bring people into the building and uh, and during the covid summer that first summer particularly we gave people uh, those restaurant uh, your tables ready little buzzer thing oh okay sure yeah. And then it, was, it worked out very well. We had these people lined up in the parking lot, and when their buzzer rang, then they could be admitted into the building because we were only taking in three people at a time. And so we kind of we're still uh, working on that. We used to just you know you'd bring the animal in. There would be one person behind the desk. They'd do all the paperwork, check it in and you know you've driven an hour with this animal and yeah. and you drop it off and the person's got their head down at the desk and and uh thank you you know, yeah. Off you go. So what we did is we we've actually expanded our intake staff so that there is somebody and we've automated it now too. We have uh, we have laptops so when somebody comes in, the form they fill out the form themselves right on the laptop. So three or four people can be uh, admitting animals at the same time, and it goes right into our database. Oh, great. And then that also gives us a chance to um, to relate to those people because uh, you know we we try to care for the clients the customers as well as we do the animals sure because if you think about it that's a pretty extraordinary thing that they're doing is to to bring an animal in uh so that's that's the first stage is is at that point then then the animal will go back the mantra in wildlife medicine is um, warm dark and quiet so we'll put the animal in a in an intake room and we'll actually let it Sit there for a bit so it can calm down. You know, it's been picked up, it's been driven in a car. You know, it's been yeah. handled, and it's, and there isn't a single animal at WRC that wants to be there. Um, this <laughs> isn't—it's not like a pet clinic or us going to the hospital. Yeah. They all think we're going to eat them, and so then they um, then what will happen is uh, every single animal that comes in, no matter how small, big or sick, gets uh, and an admission exam by a trained veterinarian in wildlife medicine. So then at that point the um the options are several. Sometimes, in fact quite often, the the animal that comes into us is not Um, going to survive and it's suffering or it has an injury that means it won't survive in the wild and humane euthanasia is the treatment option for that animal and that actually happens about 30% of the time. Um, And then, okay, so it makes it through that period, then it goes uh, if it's an orphan baby uh, squirrel or rabbit or mammal, it goes into what we call our mammal nursery. Those are staffed by rehab uh, experts and also lots of we have about 70 uh, college-age interns too who work with us in those nurseries if it's an adult animal we also have a variety of different wards for whether it's a a predator or prey you don't want to put the rabbits next to the fox (laughs) (laughs) so
1: the voice of experience apparently yeah
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. And then and then we'll, you know, it'll be there any number of days uh monitored, you know, put on meds, whatever. Yeah. And then ultimately the goal is for well our, our first goal is to relieve suffering. Yeah. So, but then the second goal is to really um release the animal back in the wild where it was found in a way that it can function in the wild. Sure. So that's kind of the uh the clients also have a, an option of following up and and keeping track of their patient as it goes through the uh through the process uh, and we do status reports so we have a full-time person in the summer who all they do is uh respond uh to what we call status reports either by phone or Sure. um by um, emails. So uh, we try to be transparent, as you'd expect, with a lot of animals that come in, and a lot of animals that need to be euthanized that yeah. can also lead to, you know, a lot of a lot of clients would just say, well, it looks perfectly healthy. Um, you know, why did you euthanize them? Well, yeah. it, in the wild, wild animals will not show um, any kind of stress. Sure. That's, they don't want to be vulnerable, a, that's a death, I guess, right? Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. a death sentence. So you know, that's part of our job too—is to communicate with the clients um, something about wildlife medicine, and we do that through our our Facebook page, which uh, we think is um, quite unique in that we we don't mind sharing um, surgery stories with our the public that follows us yeah. by by Facebook. It's not. It's not just fuzzy animal stuff, you
1: know. Right. It's, uh, it's a hospital. The good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. For yeah, better or worse, right. yeah. 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 All right, well, let's take a, a call. We've got a call that's been holding. We've got an email to get to, and I, of course, have some more questions as well. So, hi, you're on Talking Animals with Phil Jenny.
2: Hi, I have a quick question. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was out in, the, in a rural area, and uh, it, I found a, a bird. It turned out to be a blue jay. Uh, it was on the ground. It was obviously a, you know a fledgling. And, uh, I have two large dogs, so I couldn't leave it there, you know, cause they go out in the yard. So I kind of took it in, tried to feed it, and then I didn't realize I didn't have the right, you know, so I called, uh, I found a woman who does rehabilitation. She used to work at Bush Gardens. But what my question is, I've heard since that, you know, sometimes fledglings, the mother bird will feed it, you know, while it's on the ground. So what should do you do? Is that the appropriate thing to do? Should you leave the bird alone, or you know what's the proper protocol there?
1: Thanks for a good that's, good question. Thank you.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, and it's it is that is the moment when. Uh, songbirds especially are most vulnerable they get kicked out of the nest because if you look at a blue jay nest and then you think about three or four eggs in there there's no way they can all be in there right so Mm -hmm. at a certain point the parent puts the uh puts it down onto the ground really and uh and it's vulnerable there's just no question about it at the same time it it should be left alone because um you know, it's nature's way, and in some ways, um, it's uh, the parents will be caring for and protecting that animal as much as they can. And right. um, the odds there are better than the odds of, you know, picking up all the stress that accompanies uh, uh, right. capturing a wild animal and then... Trying to feed it food that it's not used to eating. So, so in that, in that fledging period, that's a, that's a really good point. And that's, uh, people are, certain species, robins, for instance, stay on the ground mm-hmm. all the time. So they're really, uh, vulnerable. Um, but the best thing is to just watch it and, uh, hope for the best. All right. Well, thank you for that. Thanks for your call. Bye bye. Bye bye.
1: And we got an email here that says, uh, I'm from Minnesota, and you're making me feel so proud of the University of Minnesota. And it goes on to say, what is the largest animal that you've taken care of, and how far away did these animals uh, come from?
2: Oh, that's another great question. We we get animals from... Six hours away we we had a a bunny that came in yesterday from two hours uh uh away Just somebody driving a a baby rabbit from you know two hours away. Wow, the largest animal we've admitted actually was a full grown deer um that's <laughs> it's actually kind of a, a scary story. A woman hit the deer, uh, in a town called St. Cloud about an hour and a half from here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it turned out she was a vet tech though. so she was somewhat familiar with handling large animals, but she, yeah. she bundled it up in the back of her car and brought it in and was waiting for us when we got there in the, uh, in the morning. And, and the, the, uh, Again, it was a story of suffering. She knew the, uh, that the deer uh, was going to die and that she didn't want to just leave it on the side of the road, so she brought it in and we euthanized it. We have treated bears. Um, the most common uh, large animal is actually the trumpeter swan. They weigh about uh, close to you know 30 to 50 pounds. They have 8-foot wingspans. They're, uh, in, in our parlance, mean, and they're hard to treat. So oh, wow. um
1: <laughs> that's a lot of challenges in one uh, one bird yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And but but generally bears and and uh and deer we don't see a lot of adult deer. Um but we'll also treat uh, bobcats and um uh, and uh, coyotes, fox um it it's interesting though that none of those animals are actually as big as they look, you know, they try to look bigger to be uh, mean looking in the, in the wild, yeah. Uh, but they're they're you know a full grown fox is fifteen pounds, you know. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I guess a bear. I would hate to get in an argument about a bear with a bear about how big it is and uh, be wrong. Yeah. 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 No,
2: that's right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So somebody just mentioned, reminded me about um, challenges and earlier when you were talking about like COVID and how you had this kind of restaurant yeah. buzzer kind of thing. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about HPAI or highly pathogenic avian influenza and kind of what challenges that's currently uh, posing for the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota. Well,
2: yeah, I think that's probably our biggest challenge that we've probably faced in my 20 years, to be honest with you. It's been a much bigger challenge for us than even COVID was because it really, in the it's, it's uh, covid on steroids for waterfowl wow i mean this is this is a severe disease that's easily transmittable and and creates just horrible um deaths for the animals and um and because it in wild birds it's in some cases anyway it's also asymptomatic so and w- we're really now at the point where we set up a separate um, veterinary admit area for um, what they call susceptible species and those species uh, the Uni- United States Department of Agriculture has this aus it's called it's a it's their um, interface between um, uh, disease uh, transmissible disease between say the, the poultry industry and the turkey industry and wild animals. So they have a whole list of the, of the animals that uh, uh, are on this species list. So what we're we're doing is uh, when somebody comes up to the door, the greeter will ask them if they know the species, if it's a waterfall species, we will actually not have it enter our building even because we don't want it uh, to compromise the care of everybody that's already in there. And then we take it around to the back, and if it's one of these um, species uh, uh, susceptible species, we actually will euthanize it. Um, and then we're working with the. Just raptors, sorry, man,
1: sorry to interrupt, Phil. Euthanize it yeah. at that point because uh, if if it's if it's clearly contracted the HPAI, uh, there's there's no real hope of 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 recovering from that and therefore right. the other risk on top of the fact that they're not going to recover is the sounds like it's super uh, contagious.
2: Yes, and of the of the patients so far this spring that we have taken in and had to euthanize 75% of them did test positive. Mm. Um, So, you know, it's really, really a tough decision. It's really tough on our veterinarians. Yeah. Um, But you can't, it it would be both for us, we don't want to, the the Tri-State Bird Rescue in in Delaware actually had a um, positive case in their facility, and um, the USDA shut them down. For thirty days. Wow. So um yeah, so that's... for us in the next thirty days we'll admit four thousand animals. Yeah. Think about the
1: the implications the, the, are gigantic.
2: Horrible thing. Yeah, yeah. So so but it's you know, that's not an easy thing to do. no um, and uh. it's also zoonotic. Now this this year's um You know, they have all they've got numbers, just like uh, COVID did. And this this particular virus does not appear to be zoonotic, which means traveling from the patient to um... people Mm -hmm. there have been a couple positive cases in southeast asia but it really really ran through europe um, just uh... devastating some of the wild animal flocks there and um and there were no cases so far of it spreading but we also are very very concerned about that so we don't want people to be um... uh... exposed to it as well so, and and this virus also seems to be more susceptible to the backyard birds. Backyard, you know, there's so many people with chickens down their backyards and right. and turkeys and stuff. And, and this virus is definitely hitting those particular um, species as well. Oh, wow. The last round of really um, what we call high-path avian influenza in 2015 seemed to mostly come from the the poultry industry, and it was spread from farm to farm. This one is is uh, definitely proven that it's being spread by um, wild waterfowl. Wow! So, um, so it's a little different than the 2015 strain.
1: Yeah, boy, but it sure sounds uh, potent, and and uh, the uh, again the risks and and the implications are huge and uh, and scary.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it's challenging on so many levels. You know, it's our our staff didn't become wildlife veterinarians to put animals down. You know, sure. here they are having to now. We're not anywhere near what you'd call mass, <laughs> um, uh, what the what the industry calls culling. But you know, the the turkey farmers and they are culling whole herds. Then you have the uh, the challenge of of communicating all of this to the public. Um, and who thinks, well, why are you, my duck looks perfectly healthy. Why does, why is it getting euthanized? Well, you know, it could be asymptomatic. There is no, um, current, uh, rapid test. Yeah. So it's not like you can test it right away. That's sure. one of the things, remember in the early days of COVID, that was right. a big deal. Um, and uh, we're, we're still, uh, several months away, I think, from any of that happening. Oh wow! And there's no, there is no um, treatment for it. So it's yeah. A very yeah. You know, so of you have to. a lot of people involved.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like you have to. You have to kind of guess if this particular bird has it, and if you think the bird has it, which may be an educated guess, but it sounds like in many cases it's still a guess. Then you feel compelled that really the right course of action is to euthanize it but you don't know for sure but you do know for sure if it is if it does have the virus you can't take that risk of of having that bird be around or continue or be treated there or anything else yes absolutely yep. Wow, yep. That, that, yep. that's a complicated uh, I mean that's like every door has something awful behind it yeah sort of yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging to be sure. And, and, you know, you want to do, we're working with all of the, the other agencies, the Board of Animal Health and all those. We're, we're only permitted by U.S. Fish and Wildlife and the DNR. And they have not said you have to do this or do that. But, you know, we're, we're trying to be, uh, responsible to the larger wildlife community which also is a little different. Our, our thing has always been, we're not involved in population medicine, right? That yeah. that's we don't care how many of this there are and how many of that there are. <laughs> we're only concerned, concerned about that one patient, right? At that moment. And, uh, yeah. 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 At that moment. So this is a little different too, because, uh, we're, a lot of our actions are motivated primarily by making sure that, um, we're protecting more animals. Yeah. And, uh, keeping them out
1: of harm's way. So, For sure. So. Wow. Big challenges of, of all different kinds. Yeah. So yeah, this is Talking Animals of Duncan Trust My guest is Phil Jenny, longtime executive director of the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota. We're in our final moments of chatting with Phil, but if you'd like to uh, join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at WMNF.org or texting 813 885 we invite you to do so. So, um, one thing I want to be sure to mention before we done, I mean, you've talked about, we've kind of alluded to various things that are provided on your website or, and or on your Facebook page. But one thing that's on the website that I find myself enchanted by is the critter ticker.
2: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: So uh, maybe you could describe that and then I might I might read a couple of things that, that, that seem to be uh, intakes from today so far.
2: Yeah, uh, uh, we, we found that people are always interested, you know, they're in the building and they, while they're there, you know, three different species, maybe one they've never even seen before it comes in. So we found that people are interested in, in kind of our daily admits. So we, we, uh, connected our website to our intake um database and now it's just a a running uh ticker tape yeah. <laughs> of of the animal that comes in and and what it is and you know and in mid may it, it, you might have you know 12 baby bunnies in a row, <laughs> you know, yeah, but it's really interesting. We found the media covers it very carefully too, and we'll get calls now from the media and say, "Oh, we saw you got this, and what what's the story on that? Is there a story there sure um so we we just found it's and then it's archived too, so you can look back at any any given day uh and and find out what we took in and we just found it's a it's a nice way to share the variety um of species we get, yeah. Um, In a really, um, uh, a real time. And it also gives you, you can see, you know, like at, at, at uh, what is it, 10 here in our time, it's 1048. And when we're really busy in the summer, uh, there might be 15 animals at sure. 1048. Right, <laughs> so. yeah.
1: No, it is, it's really fascinating. And again, the website for folks listening, want to check out all the information there as well as the uh, critter ticker. It's wrcmn.org. And uh, Phil, I think we have just about reached the end of our time. It's uh, always great chatting with you and I hope to do it again not, hopefully not, not, not nine years down the road like this time has been and there's some things we didn't get to that I was hoping to so we'll save those for, for our next conversation so again we've been speaking with Phil Jenny Executive Director of the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center of Minnesota and again one more time the website is wrcmn.org or you can search for their Facebook page and they're also on Instagram as well so Phil thank you so much for joining us again on Talking Animals Yeah thank you Duncan, talk to you soon You bet, thank you In a moment, I'll speak with Rochelle Stewart of Tiny Acres, Northwest Florida, in Santa Rosa County, offering her perspective on the horrible situation last week in which a donkey named Jack got loose in Santa Rosa County and was shot and killed. Details on that in just a moment. Right now, we're going to stick in in the comedy corner with Josh Gondelman with a piece called "We Adopted a Pug" in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals
0: on WMNF. I had a pretty good 2017, despite 2017, and. I'm here to tell you a little bit about it. My wife and I adopted a dog that's very exciting for us. Yeah, oh, thank you. She's a pug, so scientifically she shouldn't even exist, so every day's a miracle with our little dumpling. If you can't imagine a pug from the name of the breed, it's one of those dogs, looks like a loaf of white bread with a face smushed onto the front slice and a butt smushed onto the back slice. And if you've never hung out with a pug before, it's kind of like if that loaf of bread came some of the way to life, that's our vibe. She's so cute. I love her so much. Her name is Busy, but it wasn't always. When we adopted her, her name was Daisy, but we didn't like that, so we switched it to Busy, which is very rude of us because when we adopted our dog, she was eight years old. You guys get that's middle age for a dog. That's like meeting a 56-year-old human and going, what's your name, Deborah? Nah. I'm going to go ahead and call you Barbara. hope that works for you. I mean, you better be cool with it because I control all the food and water and you're too small to reach the doorknob, so. Anyway, Babs, I was thinking. (laughs) Let's get you into your Halloween costume. And yes, I know it's January, but I'm sad right now. So for the next several hours, you're gonna be a ladybug. (laughs)
1: show. It's Duncan. put you on the air momentarily. Thank you. Hold on. All right, that was Josh Gondelman. Today's comedy corner of the piece called We Adopted a Pug, taken from an appearance on Late Night with Seth Meyers. Now it's time to speak with Michelle Stewart about the donkey who got loose last week in Santa Rosa County and got killed, unfortunately. A donkey named Jack, we should hasten to point out. Here's Michelle Stewart on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Rochelle.
3: Good morning, Duncan. How are you? Thank you for having
1: me. Uh, thanks for making time. I know you're juggling a bunch of stuff there at the rescue, so I appreciate it all the more. So speaking of which, why don't you quickly give us a, a little overview of Tiny Acres Northwest Florida. What is it and what is its mission?
3: Sure. So Tiny Acres Northwest Florida was actually brought about based on the local need for equine assistance with abused and neglected horses. So Tiny Acres' mission is to adopt out neglected and abused horses that we have taken in from santa rosa county and our neighboring counties and we try our best to promote equine welfare for our community and to do the best for our horses that we can
1: and uh sort of that hooks right into first of all you are as i've noted earlier located in santa rosa county which was really rocked by this awful incident I've alluded to. So while you and Tiny Acres obviously had no direct involvement in this tragedy, you did report on it in some social media posts, which I thought were really uh, well done and clear and and, uh, captured kind of the situation. So can you just sort of briefly summarize what happened?
3: So as a local horse rescue for Santa Rosa County, it is our job to promote equine welfare. (laughs) And whenever we were contacted by a local community member, that there was, um, it's actually a mule, but everyone's calling it a donkey. I do believe the police report calls it a donkey as well. So we'll just go with donkey. But um, since it was reported to us that he was shot and killed, he was brutally murdered for no reason, we did have to make a post and try to promote some awareness about the situation. So last week on the 12th, a livestock officer who is no longer um, the livestock officer was called out to assist the sheriff's department to catch this loose donkey mule. And instead of actually arriving with the tools that he needed to provide his service, he arrived with just himself, his truck, and his gun. So it ended up being that he chased this donkey about a mile to a mile and a half down the road with his truck using a pressure and release method, which is not the correct way to use the method, with vehicle, and brought him back. So he did endanger himself and the donkey by virtue of driving him down the road. But then at the end of the day, he did make... The donkey back into a paddock that was enclosed. He still decided not to take a halter or lead rope from the witness and instead supposedly got approval from the sheriff's department based on their audio recording to shoot and kill the donkey. He did maim the donkey first, and then he did the kill shot. So it was highly illegal, it was animal abuse, and he should be held accountable. <sighs>
1: Okay, so I think most of those things are, are, you know, the product of an eyewitness account because there's somebody that did sort of witness everything that you've just described. So it's not...
3: Correct, yeah. As far as
1: I know, it's not hearsay. Uh, i mean it's no, it's it's, it's incendiary and it's uh super upsetting but it's but it's not uh it's not here say somebody did watch the whole thing that you just described unfold so yeah, as people might imagine yeah and were you familiar with jack uh, the, the mule and i did have a little side note to myself i meant to ask you early on is it a mule or a donkey cuz i kept thinking one thing it and it's
3: a mule yeah. yeah it okay. Is a mule, but everyone says it's a donkey, and so does the report. So we kind of have to go with donkey.
1: All right. But I think I think in, in honoring Jack properly, uh, we we should at least note exactly what was it. okay. So Jack was a mule. And did exactly, you know Jack? Yeah. Did you know Jack before this happened?
3: No, we did not. But we yeah. did make contact with the owners, and they said that they had previously purchased Jack a month ago. So he wow. was a new pet for these owners. Okay. And got out the night before around right. feed time. And the owner was in the hospital.
1: Oh, geez. So
3: to go to the hospital and to come back home finding out that the livestock contracted officer murdered your mule is not the way you would want to come home and be welcome to that new pet that you just brought home.
1: Right. Plus, it sounds like there'd be every reason to think Jack would be a little unsettled, disoriented if he's new to the uh, to the property.
3: Uh, exactly, and yeah. he had just had his hooves done, so he had been seen by a farrier, and he was well cared for up until then. And there was nothing to say that he was going to be a danger to the livestock officer or the general public.
1: Yeah. So just to uh, jump ahead a little bit, just so I might make sure we don't want, to run out, don't want to run out of time here. So he's now, the the man who did this has now been charged with crimes, specifically charged with torturing and inflicting pain or serious injury, uh, and... um and de- uh, uh, or death on an animal, and also inhumane slaughter of livestock. Correct. So correct. those are serious charges, which seems like, from what you've described and what I've read and heard and everything I've looked into, uh, seem to f- pretty much fit the crime, I guess.
3: Yes, they are very fitting charges, correct.
1: Yeah. Now, there was a, a press conference yesterday that um, uh, people can track down on um, the Santa Rosa Press-Gazette Facebook Page. So uh, the, man, the man that did this has retained counsel, his attorney is Dan Stewart. Um, and so the press conference was strictly him talking. Originally people might have had reason to think that the man who shot the, the mule, uh, Jack, uh, might have been presented there. But I guess that that for, for legal strategy reasons or whatever did not happen. So any observations just in our last moment here, um, Rochelle, about the press conference?
3: Well, the general observation is that the attorney did come ill-prepared. I don't think he did anything good for Philip Hayes with being his attorney at that press conference. The press conference shouldn't have even happened, and it does lead the public to believe the exact happenings of what happened is that it was illegal, it was malicious, and it was brutal. So yesterday's press conference, it didn't do anything good for Philip Hayes, which is good for Jack.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it seemed, uh, uh, I, I was, I was surprised. I, I watched, uh, you know, a video account, I guess the thing that was on that Facebook page and, uh, yeah, I, I was surprised. I mean, as some of the reporters kind of wondered them that were there, like, why are you doing this? Because the guy couldn't answer any questions really specifically right. about what happened and they said, well, what, you know, kind of why are we here? And then it, the, the attorney made promises of a, of a future press conference where things would be answered or things would be answered in writing more. But it seemed, just yeah. seemed odd, like, well, then why, why does this exist when all you're doing is probably fanning the flames that hardly need fanning? So it just seemed exactly. odd. Yeah. So, Michelle, yeah, two we quick things.
3: Next time.
1: <laughs> yeah, so two quick things. Uh, your right. website for your, your rescue is tinyacresnwflorida.org, correct? It
4: is. Yes. Okay, that so is
1: that's right. where people can find out more about you and the good work you guys do. And then I guess that's people can just kind of search for uh, donkey, even though we know it's mule, uh, shot and just get updates that way and see if people want to, you know, weigh in or do anything as this story unfolds further uh, to see about making sure we get justice for Jack.
3: Exactly, and we will be updating our Facebook page as well. That's how you get the most up-to-date information on it. We will be following the case because we do want the family. We do want Jackson Mule to get justice for what happened to him.
1: Yeah. All right, well, meanwhile, thank you for taking time out of a busy day looking after uh, horses that need your help and appreciate your help, and we appreciate your help and your time today here on Talking Animals. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you so much, Duncan. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we have just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. invite you to join me next Wednesday for another edition of the show. Also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast. Apple Podcasts are available too, as well as other podcast platforms. There are also links to our social media pages and a place where you can subscribe to our newsletter to find out about our guests a couple of days beforehand and other news from the Talking Animals world. That's all found at TalkingAnimals.net I'm Duncan Strauss, thanks very much for listening Have a good week, be kind to animals, be kind to others, be kind to yourself My thanks again to both Phil Jenny and Rochelle Stewart for joining us today on Talking Animals And uh, this is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater Largo, Weeki, Wachee, and beyond Izzy is in for Scott today again, so enjoy that Coming up after NPR News Headlines, thanks